God, as we come into your presence, God, and we sing those words that we count every joy, count the joy come every battle, God. Give us faith to see you in the midst of our battles. Holy Spirit, we ask that you open up our eyes today. Open up our ears to hear your voice. Open our eyes to see you. To see that you have been with us, God. Give us the faith, Lord, even to believe that in the midst of these battles, as your word says, God, that there is joy. Lord, give us the faith to believe that. To receive your word. To take your word as it is, God. Lord, as we come to your word today, we know without your power, Holy Spirit, that it would be hard to understand, impossible even. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you do a work in this place, that you would guide us into all truth, that you would reveal to us your, who you are in ways that are so personal, in ways that apply to our lives, in ways that answer the questions that we have been having, and even comfort us in the doubts that we've been carrying with us. God, I ask today that we would come out here being more confident in your love for us and so holy spirit you are welcome do a work do a mighty work in this place do only what you can do in jesus mighty name we pray as a church we say amen you may be seated everyone Excuse me as I prepare. Good morning, church. As Jesse mentioned, I'd just like to begin by saying how excited we are to be celebrating six baptisms today in our youth group. They're just making their way out as they sort of spend time together in the lawn and, and prepare ourselves for what we are about to witness. And it's just so encouraging to see young people from year 7 to year 11 making an individual decision to follow Jesus. When it comes to the young, when it comes to these teenagers, we believe that nobody is too young to really make that commitment, to make that choice to follow Jesus. Nobody is out of God's grace to be able to transform them from an early age, to be able to work in their hearts and burn a flame for him. And so it's so encouraging to see just the age group, even one in year seven today as we, so I just want to 
uh, say, church, that even though we're going to another place for the baptism, we'll be in Harrod Holt Swim Center. We've just hired a pool there to be able to do these baptisms. And if you aren't able to make it, just know that you are part of this celebration with us. Kids Church teachers and our Kids Church pastors, we honor you for all the work that you've done in sowing the Word of God into these kids' lives from an early age. And we know that the the Word of God will never return void. Amen? It will bear fruit in its time. And so we have seen by the salvation. So it's just something exciting that we will be celebrating today. And um, we'll show you pictures hopefully next week about our baptism. But we are continuing our epic journey in the book of John. It's taken us a year and a half, and we're still not there yet at the end of the actual book. We started, we looked at John chapter 16 last week, and we're going to make our way through the second half of John chapter 16 this week. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 16. Otherwise, you can follow along with me as we read together. Now, Just to give you a context, um, especially if you are new with us or you haven't really joined our series of the book of John, we right now uh, are finding ourselves in a scene where Jesus had just done his last supper with the disciples. So this was the night before Jesus was then arrested and about to face crucifixion, which he knew obviously was coming. And so he spent that last night um, of freedom basically with his disciples, um, preparing them for what is to come. In chapters 14 to 16, Jesus explains that the, um, that the Holy Spirit will come once he is gone. He promises them his own spirit to be in this world once he is away from them. And as you can understand, the state of the disciples at the moment is that they're sad. They're filled with sorrow because the rabbi, the teacher, the, the, the Lord that they had been following um, for three years, that they had given everything up for in order to follow him, he was about to leave them. And so Jesus is, uh, was just promising that when the Holy Spirit comes, it will actually be to their advantage, Now imagine, as we talked about last week, what would your faith look like if you followed Jesus around in a physical bodily presence? What would your faith look like today if you could see him physically, hear his teachings physically, and follow everywhere he went? This is the life of the disciples over the past couple of years of his ministry. But Jesus says to them, actually, when I leave... It will be for your benefit. It will be better when I go. And the Holy Spirit will come. So we're going to pick up from that narrative. And we find ourselves in verse 16. John 16 verse 16. All right. Now, here we go. The wording as we read the ESV is, seems a bit cryptic. But let's make our way through it slowly. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. 
So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he, that he says to us, a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he says to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because the hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. So if that sounded confusing to you, then Jesus meant for it to sound a little bit confusing. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father or your, on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you this is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of God. Jesus was saying to his disciples that it will be to your advantage, to your benefit when the Holy Spirit comes. Because the coming of the Holy Spirit will fill their hearts with joy. Jesus uses the imagery of giving birth to express how joy will be coming through their time of sorrow. When I was pregnant with Levi, my first one, at around 20 weeks when my belly started to show and I started to feel the movement and even the flutters of having life inside of me, I... Uh, 
for, I don't know what came over me, but for whatever reason, I decided to watch One Born Every Minute. I'm not sure if any of you would be familiar with this documentary series. Basically, it's a series of documentaries that really looks into the experiences of different women going into labor. I don't know why, but I thought that it would prepare me, okay? I thought that seeing reality as it is, okay, just give it to me as it is. I thought that that would really prepare me for what is to come. Instead, it scared me. It scared me so much. And I don't know what came over me to watch more than one episode, but I did. And about a month before I was due to give birth, um, we actually joined a birthing class. Edwin and I joined a birthing class to really you know, um, prepare us for the labor and prepare us for the new baby that we will be taking care of. It was just part of a class that's um, part of the Monash program that we were um, involved with. And we come into the class and there are so many photos of women giving birth in different positions. And it was, it made me so nervous, okay? It made me, I mean, yeah, just having seen those imagery of different women in labor, I came into the, and I was cringing. And I was so, so scared about, you know, going through, just understanding what was to happen. But actually, as I joined the class and really paid attention, there was one thing that the trainer said that really changed my perspective about labor pains. They, they, they reminded me that, you see, when you, watch the, when you see these women giving birth and pictures of them, it looks horribly painful. And she didn't, you know, beat around the bush. She was saying it is painful. But the difference is with your labor is that you will also have this eager excitement that you will finally see your baby. And that thought was suddenly, it changed my perspective. That the pain that I would go through would not be meaningless because every contraction and pain would actually draw me closer to finally seeing the baby I had been carrying for nine months. And we had been calling him Levi by this stage. We knew it was a boy and we just called him by name. Now, I didn't plan it this way, but I did end up giving birth to Levi naturally without any, any medication. Now, that's another story. It sort of happened like that was definitely not my birth plan. But let me tell you, every time I would face a contraction, every time I would face that pain, the words of that trainer would be, would be sort of ringing in my ear. You are one step closer to seeing your boy. You are that bit closer to finally meeting Levi. And nothing could explain. It's hard to describe the joy of holding Levi for the first time after, all, after he, I gave birth to him. And I'm sure many moms here would relate. Just the joy of holding him and finally, finally knowing that the pain is over. In fact, I would even dare to say that in that moment of joy, it almost made me forget about 
what I had to endure to get here. And let me tell you, we went through three days of labor. So it really, it really happened to replace the pain that I was experiencing. Now, why does Jesus use this illustration of childbirth to comfort his disciples. I think if I was to comfort somebody, childbirth would be the last thing I would use as an example to do that. But you see, the disciples are about to experience something that is intensely painful, like a moment of birth. You, think, you see, the thing about God is he doesn't hide things from us that makes us feel trapped into circumstances. God gives reality as it is. Like the Bible is a pretty gory book. It's a book about a lot of people suffering. It's a book about a lot of people being broken by the relationships that they had experienced. It's a book about people going through anxiety. Like God does not skirt around these issues and just Uh, get us to wish good things for our lives. That's not what the Bible is all about. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for something that they are about to experience that will give them a lot of grief. It will make them feel very sorrowful. You see, they are about to see him crucified. They are about to see their savior at the cross. But... His death and his resurrection, they are necessary, necessary events that will lead him to going back to the Father and then sending the Holy Spirit to his people. You see, through Jesus' suffering of death and then resurrection, God's new world is about to be born. And with new life, comes new joy the holy spirit will come and he will replace their sorrow with joy you see the holy spirit he actually causes us to feel christ's hearts for us you see, it was one thing for the disciples to know that Jesus loved them by his word. So Jesus would say, I love you. It was one thing for the disciples to hear Jesus say these words to comfort them. But it was another thing for them to feel it. For them to feel the warmth of God's love filling their hearts. For them to feel the warmth of God's embrace on the inside out. What could be better than following Jesus' bodily presence in your life? Having his spirit dwell inside of you. That was the promise that God wanted them to take comfort in. That his spirit will be in them and it will fill their hearts with the love of God. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8b, it says, For we know dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You see, through the Holy Spirit, Christ himself lives in us. He is closer to us today than he was to the people that he spoke to than the people that he touched when he was physically on earth. He is closer to you, believer, today. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8, the Apostle Peter says this, Though you have not seen, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that this is inexpressible and filled with glory. How is it that young teenagers could come to know the love of God and yet have never seen him before? How is it that you and I, believer, can come to know that God loves us and be confident in that and then have these affections for God that we would treasure him and yet we've never seen him? How is it? New birth in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that opens our spiritual eyes. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us new birth. It is the Holy Spirit that brings conviction into our lives and makes everything that God says real to us. It is the Holy Spirit that gets us from reading the Word of God to experiencing the goodness of God in our lives. He dwells inside of you. He dwells inside of a a believer. It is the Holy Spirit that makes Christ closer and realer than ever than when he was here on earth. Jesus' illustration of childbirth is also intended to teach a deeper truth about joy coming through sorrow. It is through the pain of labor that the joy of the birth comes. And like so, We need to let the Word of God shape our understanding about suffering. If we let the Bible shape our perspective about the hardship that we face, about the pain that we experience, about the suffering that we endure, we will actually come to embrace it as part of the Christian life. That it is actually part of maturing as a Christian. That through our sorrows in this life, there will be increased joy in the Lord. Now, you, we have to remember that Jesus is giving these final thoughts or these final teachings to his disciples who had experienced that ministry with him over the past couple of years. And something that we've been through together as a church um, in terms of studying this chapter and what the disciples saw was the story of Lazarus's death. So I want to take you back there in chapter 11. You see, when Jesus heard that his friend, his dear friend Lazarus was sick, he waited until Lazarus had died before coming to their aid. And John says that he didn't come because he didn't love them, but instead he came at that time because he loved them. And here we see that sometimes God does allow us to suffer, but not because he doesn't love us. In fact, it is because he does. 
If God loves us and he is in charge, we might think that he could just remove all the problems when we ask. And the truth is sometimes he does. Sometimes God does as we pray and ask God to remove a challenge, a hardship, a hardship. He does. He solves it for us, but sometimes he doesn't. Just like when Mary and Martha called for Jesus in an urgent plea of help, he didn't come immediately. But that wasn't the end of the story, as we know. When Jesus finally comes, Lazarus had been dead and buried for four days. And we hear of Martha going out to see him. Now, let's look back at the conversation between Martha and Jesus. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. See, Martha had the faith still that Jesus could heal her brother, okay, even though he was dead. But does Jesus do that immediately? Instead, he keeps talking to her. He says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, many Jews in that time believed that God will one day raise his people to life again at the end of time, okay, when he was to come again. And so Martha says, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And here we can hear Martha almost saying, but God, what about now? My problem is now. He is dead now. I want my brother now. As believers, we know, we read in the book of Revelations that there will be a day when God makes everything right. He will come back. He will restore his creation. And he will set right everything that was done by sin and evil. In fact, I believe that what will come will be better than Eden when God first created the world because of what we've all been through. It'll be so much better. And we know that. But in moments of suffering, it's hard to feel comforted by that. Isn't it? Because we know, okay, later on, God, we know one day when we die and at the right time, you will come and you will resurrect us again. We know that. But God, now, my pain is now. I'm feeling this hurt now. I keep doing that. I'm just going to take my shoes off. <laughs> I'm feeling this hurt now. You see, Martha believes that God will raise her brother up, okay? And in that moment, Jesus could have fulfilled her wish just then and there. But instead, he kept talking. Instead of giving her wish, he says to her, I am. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see what Jesus is saying to Martha? Why does he, he say, he, he responds to Martha's cry this way? Because what he's saying to Martha is, your biggest need is not for your brother to rise from the dead. Your biggest need is not for your brother to be healed. Your biggest need is me. 
Your biggest need is I am. Suffering will expose the idols that we didn't know were there. The questions that we ask, the things that we feel about God, they will expose the false hopes, false assumptions that we've been carrying with us about God. And sometimes, if we're honest, we want the gift more than we want the giver. We want God's gift more. Sometimes we treat prayer like a vending machine. Okay, I'm going to pray this, pray for this particular outcome, and hope to get that outcome from God. But when that outcome doesn't come, or when, when what we pay for doesn't come out, we think, Something must be broken. Our relationship with God might be broken. Why is he answering my, not answering my prayer? Maybe he is punishing me. And we start to think these things about God that are not true. But you see, God is not a vending machine. God is a person. He's not just a means to an end. He's not just somebody in Martha's life who could change Martha's situation. Yes, we believe that God will make all things work together for good. But is that really the point of everything? No. God is the end goal. God himself is the gift. He was what Martha truly needed in that moment. And Martha's suffering, her circumstances drove her to Jesus. Her suffering brought tears to the Son of God. God cried with Martha. He hurt with Martha. But it also mattered in a way birth matters to motherhood. It led to a joy that Martha did not have before. Our sorrow and suffering can lead to a joy of deeper intimacy with God that we never had before. If we were created to worship God, if we were created to have a relationship with God, then finding Him in our suffering is the point. God is the point. Pain is a place of special intimacy with God. And all of us, a lot of us have experienced this as we come to Him in our brokenness, as we come to Him in our pain. We experience His presence. In deeper ways than before. There are times where I look back. And the most intimate moments that I've had with God. Are the ones where I am crushed in spirit. Are the ones where I'm so broken on the inside. I am so grieved with so much of what I'm going through. And yet they were the most intimate and beautiful moments I've had with God. And it's not that I'm asking for more. But I know suffering will come. But as I face them, we can trust the Lord that what he has for us is increased joy in him. Jesus also endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy of seeing his people forgiven. The joy of seeing his creation restored in relationship with him. He endured all of that. That's what Hebrews said in chapter 12 verse 2. And so the question we ask, 
when we see or when we face suffering, what could be worth it? What could be worth that pain that you go through? Is it for self-betterment? Is it just so you could be a better person? Really? Yes, of course, we do become refined and sanctified through suffering. But there are sufferings that we experience that are just beyond finding an excuse to grow through. It's just so heavy. What could be worth it? Well, Jesus says he is worth it. More of him is worth it. More intimacy with God is worth it. Will you take him at his word? We come back to John chapter 16, verse verse 27. Jesus then continues to say, the father loves you. He makes it personal and plain to his disciples. The father loves you. Jesus continues to explain to them the wonderful privilege that his disciple has have when the Holy Spirit comes. You know what that privilege is? Do you know what the privilege is that the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us? One of the privileges is that we have immediate access into the very presence of God. We have direct access to God the Father. What a privilege. And what more is that when we pray in Jesus' name, and that means when we pray with an awareness that we are the branches, He is the vine, that we belong to Him, and our existence is for His glory. When we pray in His name, it says that the Bible says the Father welcomes us instantly and gives us whatever we ask for. What a privilege! And the reason? Because God the Father loves you. He loves you. You see, we've got to learn to abandon any thought that we might have that God is a God who is distant, especially God the Father. I think a lot of us may have a theology where God the Son does love us to the point of dying for us. But sometimes we might think, well, maybe God the Father is a bit removed because it cost us His Son in order for us to get near. And so maybe he's not as happy with us as his son. And maybe it required the son to convince the father that we could be worthy of entering his presence. That's, that's crap. That's not true. That's not true. At the heart of Jesus' ministry was his purpose to bring his disciples to know his father too, as their father. He's saying, I want you to have the same relationship with my father as I have. That was what Jesus was doing in his ministry. In John 14, verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the father. When we look back at that story of Lazarus again, you see, Jesus could have stopped Lazarus from dying. He chose not to. Okay, but what we do see is that Jesus weeps with his friends. He cries with them. He hurts with them. He empathizes with their grief. And what we see is that 
Jesus is not a God who is removed from my suffering. He's not cold to the things that you are experiencing. Just because you don't have an answered prayer today, it doesn't mean God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have his eyes set toward you, that his love is set toward you. You see, the prophet Isaiah called Jesus a man of sorrows. That's how he spent his time on earth, a man of sorrows. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus is moved with compassion towards sinners and towards suffering people. And so Jesus wanted the, the disciples to see that every time he saw Jesus in action, that wasn't just Jesus, that was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit in unity with a heart that is moved toward compassion and love toward other people. That's God. God, Jesus is God in flesh. Any ideas that we have about God the Father being distant and cold and maybe desiring more from us or expects us to perform, it's not true. Because Jesus showed us what God was truly like. Who is God the Father? God the Father is a father. I think that's why so many of us desire relationships, good relationships with our dad. And perhaps bad relationships with our dad affect us deeply. You know why? Because you were created in the image of God, including God the Father. And so there is a deep cry inside of you to connect with God as a father. Well, Jesus said the Father himself loves you. He loves you. When we reflect on John chapter 3, 16, we see for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Sometimes we think maybe God was frustrated with us that he had to give his son That was just the final thing that he had to do. It's like, fine. Maybe we think like God did that grudgingly. But when John says for God, he meant for God the Father. You see, God the Father gave his son because he loves you. The son gave his life for you because he loves you. And it was God the Father that gave up his son because he loves you. What would be like, what would your life today be like if you walked with the confidence that God the Father loves you? He loves you. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We need to stop looking at God with our natural assumptions. You know why? Our mind is sinful. We tend to think we're right, and that's part of our sin. We tend to think we're right. <laughs> that was, that's our rebellion. That's our sin. And sometimes we have, from experiences that we've had about in, in our, with our earthly fathers, we project these images of God that are not true. We project them unfairly onto God. But instead... Why don't you let the word of God shape your understanding about God the Father? Jesus wanted to reveal who his father was, the heart of his father, the compassion of his father. Jesus wanted to show you how much his father loves you. 
Perhaps today is the day you abandon any false belief about who God the Father is and come to know him as he truly reveals himself in the word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The Father of all mercies. You see, God the Father has mercy for every need you have. Every kind of mercy. Is it a sin? He has mercy for that. Is it a failure? He has mercy for that. Is it wandering from him? He has mercy for that. In fact, in Lamentations chapter 3, it says, His mercies never cease. Every day you get new mercies from God. You will never exhaust his mercy because he is the father of mercies. That's the most natural thing that comes out of God. You squeeze God, what comes out? Not anger. Not justice. Not righteousness, although he is just and right. What comes out? Mercy. That's who God is. And so the Father himself loves you. The throne room door is open for you. Access God directly. It's open for you as a child of God. You can trust him. As we stand in the presence of God, we see that the story ends. We see that in the Bible, as we mentioned before, so many stories of people going through suffering and pain, because that is a reality of the world. There is a religion that teaches that suffering comes from a desire, and so we must avoid it. You know, one of the, the religious leaders, he left his family the moment a child, his child was born. And Buddhism came about. That was the story of Buddha. But you see, with God, he doesn't avoid it. He takes us through it. God does not skirt around the issue. In fact, the God of the Bible... He came down in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our mess, and He suffered for us. He took on our suffering. On the cross, Jesus bore our guilt, our shame. In our place, we did not deserve it. He bore the heartbreak of our suffering. His body was broken to pieces so that he could heal the brokenness in this world. And what we see is the story of Lazarus ends with Jesus, not just making a point about who he is, but then raising Lazarus from the dead. It ends with victory. It ends because Jesus suffered, went through the cross, bore our sin and shame, paid for the penalty of our debt of sin and he conquered the power of sin and death so that he can say to you and to me in this world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world
So as we come into a space of worship again, there are two groups of people I'd love to pray for today. The first is do you believe that you've been harboring dark thoughts about God? Maybe there are thoughts about God that you are starting to see are not true. That God is not cold to your suffering. That He is not distant. That He is not just a Father testing you, waiting for you to fall just so you can pick up. He's not that kind of God that would just watch our suffering from a safe distance. If you feel that God is beginning to expose the false beliefs about Him, would you put your hand on your heart? And I'm just going to pray for you. I want to ask that that God will begin to remove those false beliefs about who He is and replace them with His truth. So God, you see us who have come before you knowing, Lord, that there might be dark thoughts that we have about you that are not true. In this moment, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate our minds, set us free by your truth. I identify lies that we have been believing about God. And Lord, set us free. Remove these dark thoughts and replace them with your truth. That we can respond to your word with joy and trust you in our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The next group and the final group is I had these bottles for a reason. You see, when Jesus said, you will come and face troubles, but you see, take heart, the Holy Spirit will be with you. What happens when we go through troubles? A lot of us, when we go through suffering, it's easy to give into bitterness. It's easy to give into negativity. It's easy to give into hopelessness. And so we go and we feel pressed on every side by our troubles. And we feel like every challenge we go through just makes us feel a bit smaller. Just makes us feel a little bit uh, less valuable in this world. That every hardship we face makes us feel weak and perhaps worthless. And often this is what we carry in our day-to-day life. We carry these burdens. We carry this pain with us and we just go through life. But God says, I will fill you with my spirit. I will turn your sorrow into joy. What happens when you are filled with the spirit of God? You see, 2 Corinthians 4 says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed and even driven to despair, but we, are, we may get knocked down, but we won't get destroyed. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is what it is to live with the power of the Spirit of God. We can walk in victory because He has overcome the world. And so God, I ask, if any of you desire to be filled with His Spirit, would you lay your hand on your head? And Lord, we ask that your Spirit will come and fill us today, God. Fill us afresh. Fill us anew, Lord. God, we know that it is only by your Spirit, God, that we can face these challenges and overcome them with the victory that you have won for us. So God, fill our hearts with your Spirit. Fill our days with your Spirit, God, so that we would walk in the victory, Lord, that you have won for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. As a church, we say.